Good to see you. Thank you so much for your welcome. Thank you for gathering with us here today. Um, it's a privilege for me to be here today. It's the first time I've had the chance to uh, join you on a Sunday in this new venue. Uh, so the last few times I've been with you, you've been uh, at the old venue, which some of you here would not know about, but uh, Liberty Church uh, moved here to this wonderful building um, only uh, in this new year, since Christmas. Um, and it's, it's been a, a, a fantastic place for us to gather here on a Sunday ever since. Um, so I'm very excited for this uh, young church. Uh, I'm, I mean young in the sense that it's only been around for a short time as a church. Um, although most of you look pretty young as well. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That's a compliment for some of you. Um, but um, uh, it's, it's so encouraging and inspiring to, to, to see growth, to see new faces and very encouraging. We pray for you often, all the time we're praying for you. Here uh, back home in Brighton in England where we, uh, we feel very joined with you and very committed to you and want to keep serving and helping you and we love praying for you because we believe that God has a great ambition uh, for the city of Amsterdam and, um, and he has plans um, which are bigger than our plans. God's plans are always bigger. His plan for your life is bigger than your plan for your life and much better. Um, and, so, and so whenever people like Matt and Joe get on a plane with their, their four little children and say, we're gonna completely uh, wreck our lives and, and, and just take a huge risk and trust God and move to a new city to start a new church and see what happens. Um, it's, it's an amazing opportunity for God to move in, in a powerful way and do something um, fresh and exciting. And uh, it's, it's jo a joy for me to see the fruit that's already come from, from their decisions. So it's just brilliant. Thank you so much for all that you're doing as part of this church. If you're new here today, you're perhaps here for the first time, um, this is a wonderful community and uh, I hope that you enjoy your visit today and I hope that it, it will be uh, for some of you the first of many and that you will find yourselves being part of what God's doing in this church. Um, I've been going through uh, in recent weeks in my own church uh, the, the last paragraph of Acts chapter 2. Now uh, uh, the, the book of Acts describes the church that Jesus uh, began when he when he uh, was crucified and buried and rose again on the third day he gathered his apostles his close disciples and he uh, did some more training with them and then he sent them into their world mission and what happened after that is very dramatic and the book of Acts describes it in 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 some detail uh, for 28 chapters but there's a there's a fantastic snapshot at the end of Acts chapter 2 where it describes in a paragraph the kind of community uh, that these apostles began the kind of church that that started to exist in in the city of Jerusalem and we've been going through it in my church uh, phrase by phrase it's a long list of different characteristics qualities of this early church. And, uh, and I'm gonna to read to you this same, this same paragraph, this same passage, uh, 
and then draw your attention to one particular aspect today, just one of the many things that are listed. If there was time, I'd try and cover them all. Uh, there's never enough time, so I'll just f focus on one of the themes and then we'll uh, apply it to our lives today. But I'll read you the, the, this description, okay? So this is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Perhaps we could just pray together first before we get into this. Father, I do want to thank you for uh, the gift of your son, Jesus. I want to thank you so much for this, this moment we have together on this occasion in this in this venue thank you for what you've done in this church I'm grateful for your presence with us your commitment to your people your love for your people and your plans for your people we thank you when we look at this passage of the bible we're seeing ourselves in a sense we're seeing the community that you brought into being when you uh, when you rose from the grave when you started ascended to heaven and rose to rule over all things and to have a people who would represent you. We thank you, that's what your church is. And uh, we pray, Lord, help us to move into our destiny, to become what we already are by your grace, more and more visibly, more and more practically in ordinary life and in this city. For your glory, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to talk to you particularly about what I see in verse uh, 46 where it says day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they receive their food with glad and generous hearts actually just the first phrase okay you could break it down each one into so many pieces day by day attending the temple together I want to talk to you about the public gathering of the church uh, you can see in that verse that there were two different kinds of gatherings uh, whenever you join a new community, maybe you start a new job or go to a new school or begin a new course at university or join uh, the, the forces, join the army or the navy or the air force or something, one of the first things you need to get clear on is where do I report and when? You know, how do you guys gather? What are the places where you gather? And in verse 46, we see a very simple description there were the public gatherings in the temple and there were meetings from house to house. There was the large, big, public side of church gathering and the small, concentrated uh, communities in house to house, the small and the large, the small and the large, a kind of a rhythm of both. And generally speaking, through, that, through the history of the church ever since, it's been a uh, it's been observable that churches are probably at their healthiest when both of those kinds of gathering are being practiced. Where you have the small and the large, you have groups of people meeting in homes and getting to know each other, sharing food, sharing life. 
And there's also the public gatherings where lots of small groups come together. Now it says here that they did that daily. Um, the, 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 they met in the temple courts every day as a whole community. And you could potentially come under pressure to think, well, until we are meeting every day as a church here in this building, say, uh, we, we're not as good as this, you know, we're failing, we're not being a, a true church. I think there are times in the history of, of churches where people will meet on a big public scale every day. That does happen sometimes. I, I can think of a few times in my lifetime where, where the church I've been a part of, wherever it's been, has been through a certain season of uh, particular excitement and things happening where it's been decided, let's meet every day for a season. And that will happen. That's definitely what happens here. But it's worth stepping back and noticing that it's pretty distinct. It is a season. Um, and I say that just to help us to get it in context. Okay, this is a, a very inspiring snapshot, this last paragraph of Acts 2. It's not intended necessarily in every part to be prescriptive. In other words, it's not meant to be, you know, you've got to do exactly what they did in exactly the same way. Not necessarily, let's just see what the principles are and apply them. For example, you can see later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20 and uh, verse uh, 17, I think, where it speaks about, uh, uh, sorry, verse seven, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, on the first day of the week. And you see one or two other references in the, in the New Testament saying a similar thing. The pattern starts to emerge where you see the church gathers every week in that public sense, where all the believers in a location come together once a week. So that starts to emerge as the New Testament goes on, which helps us because generally that's how churches function today. And we realize, okay, that has a beginning in the Bible, which might set us free from feeling like we have to have a meeting every day. Now, there may be a season in, in the future in this church where God does something and you realize yeah, we need to meet every day for a while and wouldn't that be amazing that could be a very good thing if it comes but we mustn't force ourselves into a, a pattern that's not necessarily intended for all times in, in, in our uh, church life but what I want to do is talk particularly about why the public gathering for us why the Sunday gathering of a church is so important why do we meet on Sundays okay so it's a very simple message today why do we why do we meet on Sundays at all are there good reasons for it or is it just a habit uh, for some of us we come on a Sunday because it's, it's what you've done for years you're a, you're a Christian you've been part of a church for years and you come to church on a Sunday and that's just it's like it's like asking why I breathe I just I just do I just it's what I do and some of you you come because there's some friends that you've made you want to be around your friends and maybe some of you there's a particular friend that you've made and you're really keen to be around that person. I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons why people will come. I want to give you nine. So this is ambitious. I'm going to try and give you nine. We'll see how well I do. Uh, that I believe are good biblical, solid biblical primary reasons, the main reasons why we need to commit ourselves to gathering on Sunday. So we'll see how I do. The first one is this. We gather together as the church because together we are something great. Gathered together, we are something great. Now, that could sound proud. I'm not, I'm not intending it to be 
a boastful statement by any means. Because left to ourselves, we are not great. We're in need. We're terribly broken, miserable, lost people without God's mercy and kindness and forgiveness. But when we're together as the people of God, when we join, when we gather especially, there is, a, there is something extraordinary about the gathered Christian community. It's interesting actually that in the, 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 the part I read to you, it says they gathered together daily in the temple courts. And it's a, it's a strange thing to consider, but what you've got here is basically the temple being the, the gathering place, the meeting place for a new t- temple, a new temple that isn't made up from stones, but made up from people. You, when you read the Bible through from the beginning to the end, you, you notice that the idea of a temple is right at the heart of the whole story. It's massively important to the whole story that the Bible teaches. And it's, it's, it's for many reasons, but think of it this way. God, who made humanity, wants to rebuild the relationship that was lost between him and humanity because of our, because of human wickedness, because of the human desire to have other gods instead of him. Every time we, we set things up as gods instead of God, we're choosing against him, we're rebelling against him. And we do that habitually. That's what humanity has done from the beginning. We worship the creation instead of the creator. If we kind of worship ourselves, we put ourselves on the throne at the center of everything instead of him. The result of that is, is, is all kinds of chaos and all kinds of problems and all of the real problems of life seem to have their roots in this deep problem that we have underneath where we've turned away from him. But God's desire is to, to restore the relationship. But that isn't a simple thing. That's not easy because God is now not just different because he's the creator and we're created. He's different in another way as well in that he's pure and righteous and holy and we're not. We're tainted, we're, we're stained. You could even say we're in, infected. Maybe you've seen some movies of um, you know, great disasters of uh, medical science where, where somebody or a group of people become infected by some epidemic. There's a few famous films that, that show this really dramatically. And the story turns on, a, uh, on, on, on some kind of special you know, um, antidote, some special medicine that, that sets everyone right and heals everybody and cures everybody. But you, you'll notice that in, you know, the way it shows the dramatic, sometimes the, the way in which medical uh, preparations need to be so careful when it comes to disinfecting and making sterile environments where you're coming into contact with the virus and there'll be all these kind of careful sterilizing techniques and clothes that the medics will wear. And we just, we can meet with this disease, but only under certain circumstances with certain rituals of cleanliness, certain ways of just kind of keeping ourselves clean so that we don't get contaminated by the disease. 
When you read some of the first few bits of the Bible, especially books like Leviticus, which are very difficult to read and not fun to read. You know, they're, they're slow and descriptive and people give up reading the Bible when they get to Leviticus. That's why most people haven't read the Bible who tried because of Leviticus. They, they get to the point, they say, what's the point of this? What Leviticus is basically doing is it's describing a little bit like that sterile environment. It's like saying, well, there's, there's God, the pure, holy one, and then there's the disease. There's the contaminated, infected people. And he wants to come into contact. He wants to be friends. He wants to, how? How can he do that? And of course, he describes this system and a place, a particular place. It was a tent, like a medical tent, like a, in some of these movies. But actually, it was a tent that was like a holy place. It was called the tabernacle. Later, it was built again out of stone. First, it was a tent, then it was made out of stone. But what the Bible's teaching is that later again, it became people, human beings. I, I, it's a bit of a digression, but I was trying to explain this to one of my kids when he was very young. Uh, he, I guess he was about four or five years old. And, and he, he said to me, um, what do you do, Dad? What's your job? I said, well, I, I, I guess I build the church. And he said, what do you build it out of? I said, oh, I, I, I build it out of people. That's really what I do. And I thought, hopefully that'll explain it to him. I explained, you know, carefully. I gave him all the references. I taught him through the whole Bible. So I, I build the church out of people, Hudson. That's what I do. And then he said, so what do you build the roof out of? So I don't know what he was thinking there. He thought the walls were made out of people and you know, what's the, but, but it's a hard thing for us to come to terms with maybe as kids, but you should get the, the principle that God's plan is a, a place where he can have fellowship with humanity. And the way he does it actually, ultimately it's through Jesus, the lamb that was slain that we've been singing about and, and people who are joined to Jesus, the, the church. The church becomes the temple, the dwelling place. And this is, this is one of the reasons when we, that when we gather, it's so extraordinary. Let me give you a couple of references to make this point. One of them is in, in the book of Hebrews in chapter eight. The writer says this, they, talking about the old priests, the old temples in the tabernacle and then the, temp, you know, the, the tent one and then the one built out of stone, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So he's saying, the, the old things were a shadow. They pointed to the better thing that we have now, Jesus and his people. The church is the temple, is the dwelling place, is this special location of special contact with God. Further back in the New Testament, you get Paul's famous words in Ephesians chapter two, where he describes the same thing in different words. He says, through him, in other words, through Jesus, listen to these words, this is breathtaking. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
You get that? You're no longer distant, far off, infected, unable to come to God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The possibility this brings to just a Sunday is off the scale when you think about it. When you gather, you are the temple, the dwelling place of God. That's what you really, it's not something that you might be one day. It's not something you can aspire to be. It's not like if only we really were a dwelling place for God. Wouldn't it be amazing if church was like that? No, Paul's saying, no, that's what you are. You just, just first of all, believe it. Start there, start knowing that it's true. And, and I guess sometimes we see the result of this in a vivid way. Other times we just kind of go through life not really noticing, but it's real whether we notice it or not. Sometimes it takes people who don't know Jesus to really notice it before we do. I, I love my, some of the favorite letters I've ever got as a pastor, emails and messages, come from people who don't yet know Jesus but come to my church and write to me. So I came to your church and I, I don't understand what happened. I just sat there in the meeting and I just couldn't stop crying. And I just thought, God's real. This is real, he's here. I couldn't even understand it, but I knew it was true. And maybe it's because a part of the sermon was just connected with them or when we were singing worship to God, they just felt their heart was opened up like a, like, a, like just opened up, like cut open. Or somebody said something to them, or somebody said there's some, somebody had a word of knowledge, a prophecy for someone in the room. And it was like, how did you, how did you know that about me? And it just takes their breath away. And God is real. The Bible describes that. And Paul says that to the Corinthians. He says, people will come into your meetings and say, surely God is amongst you. Why, why would they do that? Because the church is the dwelling place of God. That's, that's what it is. It's the way God dwells. Or even our boring meetings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just our ordinary Sunday church. That's just, yeah, but no, no, you're just talking about when church is really amazing and incredible. No, 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 I'm just talking about church. You, you don't, you, sometimes, listen, it's the people outside who notice it before we do sometimes. They just notice it. They just, sometimes they don't, but sometimes they really do. And we mustn't, we mustn't miss this about ourselves. Take it as a found, fundamental thing. Take it as something that's true, whether we feel it or not. Paul says it, you are a dwelling place for God in the spirit. That's what you are. Not what you might be, it's what you are. And it should affect the way we think of our role on a Sunday. Each one of you comes as part of the temple. I'm not the temple, you are. Together we are. Matt looks like he's, he's running the thing. Yeah, he kind of is. But by the spirit, we all are. We all contribute something. Doesn't mean you all get up and preach. It does mean though, that you come on a Sunday thinking, how can I edify? How can I build? That word edify in the New Testament, that's what it means. It means build up. In, in English, it's where we get the word edifice, something that's constructed. Like this building, the church is in a different way, but make no mistake, a building. And when you encourage somebody, when you make a point of it, you say, I'm gonna encourage that man or that woman, you build them up. 
And, and I want to urge you, listen to me, if you're part of this church, or even if you're just interested, or you're just part of any church, come to church every week thinking three things. Can I suggest this? Three things. Who can I encourage? Who can I pray for? And who can I serve? Imagine if, listen, if every one of you did that every week, within a year, this would feel very different. It was very easy. It would make so much difference. Within a year, I tell you, this whole, this this community would, would feel very different already. If you can think, who can I encourage? Like literally find a way to say words that make someone filled with encouragement, builds their heart up, strengthens them. Think of things to encourage. What can I, what can I say to, to, to God for them? What can I pray for for them? Go to them and say, can I pray for you? I just want to pray for you for something. Or pray with you after the meeting, during communion, pray with someone. And thirdly, how can I serve? Who can I invite back for lunch? Who can I set up a meeting, a coffee? How can I get some time? How can I, how can I help you with what's going on in your life? What gifts have you got that would help someone else out? All these are practical ways to edify, to build, to construct the temple of God. So together, when we gather, we're really something. By God's grace, we are something great. Let's move on. That was the first, and I guess the, you could say the most important. Let's rush through these others. Okay, the second reason why it's good to gather, to be ourselves, to actually be ourselves more. Uh, what I mean by that is, when you're made in the image of God, you're made for community. You're not actually being yourself more just when you're on your own. I hate to say that because I'm an introvert and I like being on my own a lot. And I can sometimes imagine that I'm being myself more when I'm isolated, when I'm spending just time just on my own and there's no one else around me. That's when I'm really being myself. It's, it's not completely true. The, the truth is that we're, we're more becoming ourselves as we join our lives up with others, as we share our lives with other people. That's God's, God's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three persons. And we're joined to him now as one community, the church. We, we are able as human beings to be more truly human by sharing life. So gathering together isn't us becoming less ourselves, Amazingly, it means we're becoming more ourselves as we do life in a gathered kind of way. The third reason why gathering as a church is important, when we gather as a church, we get to welcome the world home. We get to welcome the world home. The the church is not meant to be an exclusive community on the edge of society, kind of kept ghettoized away from the rest. It's meant to be a welcoming community that, that in come the nations, in come the world. If there was time, I'd turn to the book of Micah in chapter four. I'll, I'll skip it for time. But, but there are many places like Micah chapter four, Isaiah chapter two, many prophecies about the, the future glorious temple that will be made up of people. And they're prophesying a time when all the nations will come in will come in, they'll, they'll turn up and they'll feel at home. They'll, they'll, they'll say, we're, we're here, the nations, we turned up, we, we've come home. It's a bit like watching the Olympics or something when on that first opening ceremony when all the nations start pouring in, pouring in, pouring in. That kind of image of people showing up and saying, look, we've, we're home, we're home, we're here. That, that's, that's in the Bible, that's an idea of, that God wants for his people. He wants the nations to be welcomed in. 
Now this, this means that every local church is a, a kind of a crossroads for the world, for people who don't know this God, the God of the Bible, to feel that they can come in, to, to be part of it, to feel at home in it, to know that you know, this, this is a dwelling place of, for God, but it's also a dwelling place for me. And that's, that's a huge part of what it means to be the church. It means that we, we need to have an attitude always where we can be saying to people, come and see. Come, come and look. Come and find out about God. Come on a Sunday. Come and see. This is one of the privileges of being able to use a venue like this that's so well known and so central. It gives you a more big opportunity to say you'll come and see. And churches that have that attitude in them, that have that mentality of come and see, come and see, are going to have a huge impact on their localities. It's not always easy for the people we're saying it to. If I say to people in Brighton and you say to people in Amsterdam, you know, come to church on a Sunday and they don't know Jesus, for many people it would be the, a very uncomfortable prospect. If, you, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you think, what would it be like to to go to church for the first time, if I come from a secular city, think, imagine what it would be like to go to a betting shop for the first time. Or somewhere you think, I've never been to one of those before. What, what would you do? Just walk in and, what, where do I go? Where do I stand? What do I, who do I speak to? I don't even, how do I behave in this place? People who go to church for the first time are kind of making a very brave step. And so we need to be superb at making them feel at home at welcoming and say, come in, come in, come into God's house. You're welcome here. This is a place where you can come to know God and find and come to know yourself in a sense. You, you'll find that this is a home for you. So learning how to welcome, how to make this a good space for new people is absolutely vital. Knowing all the time that God has shown himself as interested in the outsider almost to a fault. You know, he told the story of the shepherd that has 100 sheep, he counts them in and there's only 99, there's one missing. He leaves the 99 to go and find the one that's missing. That's, that's what he's like, our God. He he's, has a bias towards the outsider. You think, what are you doing leaving those 99? There's wolves around, what are you doing? And the shepherd says, I've got to find the one that's lost. That's always what God is like. And the church is always at its best when she's healthily focused on the outsider because that's what our good shepherd is like. So on a, on a Sunday even, if we just think, well, I come to church to meet my needs. I come because I want to get blessed. I want to come because I want to get fed. I hope you do get fed. I hope you do get blessed. But you know, you're more likely to if you're being like your shepherd who's focused on the outsider, cares about the person who's here for the first time, doesn't know anybody. If you're thinking, I, I really want to love people who are outside, you'll find that you get blessed anyway. You get that thrown in. But if we, if we start being like our good shepherd, we'll, we'll build the right kind of community. Fourth reason, we gather to church on a Sunday, we gather as a church to hear God, to hear God. Very simple, we gather to hear God. Again, this is, you go back to the passages I refer to, Micah chapter four, for example, speaks of the word of the Lord going out from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord going out. This is again, part of what it means to be the temple of God. The dwelling place of God is a center for God's speaking, God's words coming out. This is how God operates. This is how God does stuff. He does things by speaking. 
That's how he made the world in the first place, by speaking. Let there be light. God speaks, things happen. Jesus' name, the word. The, the way that God works through, through in cities like Amsterdam is through his word being proclaimed. The, God, the way that God will work in your life is through his word. He will speak to you. And so when you come, when you gather on a Sunday, when you come to be with the church, come with that mentality, I'm coming to hear God speak to me. I want to receive his words. Jesus sent 12 disciples out into all the world to proclaim, to preach, to teach. And he told them to teach others, to teach others, to teach others. He wants this cycle to continue. I'm standing before you today, if you like, as part of that long cycle. I'm, I'm one of those descended from those who've preached to me and those who preached to them before them and those who preached to them. I've come here to tell you what's been told to me. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, same chapter that Matt referred to and I've referred to, when the Ephesians became Christians, he puts it like this. He said, Christ came and preached to you. You think, what? No, he didn't. Jesus never went to Ephesus. Jesus stayed in Israel. He never went to, to, to Asia Minor. Or he never went outside his country. What, is, what does Paul mean that Christ came and preached to you? What he means is that when the preaching of the gospel happens anywhere, that's Christ coming. That's what it's, it's, as, it's, as, it's as big a deal as that. It's like the presence of Jesus preaching. So I, I'm the one with the waving a Bible around in front of you and talking. But through me, God can be speaking to you. Matt can be standing here and speaking on a Sunday. Please never sit there as a sermon critic, just thinking, yeah, interesting, it was quite good, not as good as last week, you know, it's quite, yeah, it's interesting, let's score it a seven this week and let's go home and discuss it in, in that sort of objectifying kind of way. You're missing it badly. This is when God does things. Those minutes on a Sunday when someone stands with the Bible and says, this is what God says, they're meant to serve you, to shape you, sometimes rescue you, change your life, build your life on my words, Jesus said. You'll be like someone who builds his house on a rock. When the storms come, the house stands firm. You come to church, or you shouldn't say come to church, you are the church, but you gather with the church to hear God speak. Listen, you're always hearing preaching, all the time. People haven't stopped preaching. People are preaching. You'll get preached to on social media. You get preached to watching TV. You get preached to on the news. You're being preached to all the time. The word of someone is coming to you. Some kind of word, some kind of message is coming at you. Make a priority in your week of gathering to hear the word of God. Make a priority. If you can't be there because you're helping with children's work or something like that, catch up. Make sure you're not getting behind. You're in the place where your diet of hearing the word of God is healthy. Quickly, fifth reason. We come to bring our worship. We come to bring our worship. I say that because for many we, we would respond by saying, well, I don't need to go to church because I worship God all the time. Which is quite a claim. I'm not sure that you do. <laughs> I'm not sure any of us actually do that, but, but that's a nice idea. Let's say you do. Let's say you do. You worship God all the time. Good for you. Well done. I'm sure you've never sinned all week. The, the thing is, what you do when you come with, to, to, to be together on a Sunday, it's like you're bringing, you're bringing your week together. It's like you're offering up your week. You're saying, Here, here's, all that I'm, here's my week. I bring it as an offering of worship to you now. 
this whole week has been about you, but now I want to, if you like, I want to kind of express it in a clear way. I want to make it public. I want to bring my offering of worship. That's a huge thing. And so to prepare yourself even for worship is a good thing. Some generations of Christians have done this better than others. You can read about some of the people in centuries gone by who would gather their family on a Saturday night and just to pray together and prepare for the next day. We're gonna go to church, we're gonna take bread and wine, we're gonna remember Jesus. Let's just prepare ourselves now before we go. That's an an interesting way of doing it. I find that inspiring. But what I'm saying is, think about how you come. Do you prepare yourselves to worship? If you come just kind of slope in without thinking about it, uh, you may find it hard to focus. It's just an important thing to consider. Sixth reason, we're getting there. We come to get behind the mission of the church financially. Uh, this is uh, uh, actually practically seen even uh, in the New Testament when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where Paul talks to them about how they should take up their Uh, offerings and he says in verse 2 on the first day of every week which for us would be Sunday each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come he's saying make it a weekly get get into the habit of weekly offering get into the habit of, of regular giving to the life of the church and so offerings on a Sunday some kind of regular way of giving is a brilliant principle it's why we practice it and it's a very helpful Uh, uh, part of our our several reasons why church gathering is important. Seventh, Jesus did it. (laughs) That probably ought to trump all the others. Jesus did it. When you think about it, it says in Luke chapter four, verse 16, Jesus gathered on the Sabbath day at the synagogue as was his custom, attended the synagogue. Now, synagogue isn't quite the same thing as the church, but it's very similar, it's kind of continuous. It's God's people gathering together to hear God's word and worship. Jesus did it, and it says, Luke says, as was his custom, which is a kind of, maybe a bit of a mundane way of putting it. Can you imagine Jesus doing anything just because it's a custom? We sometimes, we're too spiritual. We think, oh, that's, I wouldn't do something just as a custom. That's not good enough for me. Well, it may be not good enough for you, but it's good enough for Jesus. He, he made it a regular habit. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna be there. What, even when it's boring? Yeah, I'll go. See, our generation has this weird fixation. That if something doesn't blow our hair back emotionally, it's not worth doing. And we couldn't be more wrong. We, we so operate on the basis of, if I get no emotional buzz from this, it's not authentic, it's not real, it's wrong, I shouldn't do it. I, sh- I, I only wanna do things that make me feel and make me sense the power. And, and if I don't say it, it can't be right, it can't be good. And that's completely wrong. It, you read the, <laughs> look at the, Jesus, look at the Proverbs, look at the way the Bible, you look at the whole pattern of life and scripture. There's seasons where you do things out of building good habits. We just keep doing them as a good discipline. And it has long-term good impact, even if you can't feel it at the time. You often, you can't see a plant growing, can you? But you can see it over time. The impact of just being there on a Sunday for year after year after year, you've got no idea the exponential fruitfulness from that habit. Jesus, Jesus modeled that himself, it must be good enough for us. 
So, so we need perhaps to rethink the way we approach this stuff. Sometimes we're so fixated on the extraordinary passion side of things that we can't do discipline. It's like somebody said, the reason we have such a low view of, sorry, the reason we have so much of such high divorce rates in countries like Britain and Holland is because we have a low view of marriage. And a few years ago, someone called Richard John Newhouse, he said, I don't think that. He says, I think it's because we have too high a view of marriage. What he meant was, we've been so drowned in Hollywood sentiment. We have this view of marriage where it has to be so ecstatic and romantic and perfect all the time. We've seen so many romantic comedies and so much, we just think, if you go through a tough time in your marriage, it's wrong, it's a bad marriage because we're going through, it's, it's failed, so I must get out of it. People will do that about church. I'm struggling with church at the moment. I think it's probably wrong, I need to pull out. No, that's, that's because you've got, you've got the wrong view. You've got, the, you've got an inappropriate view. You, you need to learn to do things out of discipline and trust that there's fruitfulness in the discipline, in the seasons that we go through. High, low, high, low, we stay steady. We stay focused in our commitment to this. Eighth reason, we, we, we don't just follow Jesus in, in, in his sort of, you know, he went to church, so I do, but we join him in his worship of the Father, in the Father's house. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is wonderful. When we gather to worship God, remember what we said about the, the priest, the temple, the, the, the cleanness of the, the temple, the, the need for sanitization, if you like, the, the need for cleanliness before God. And you might think, how can I be clean before a holy God? This is what Jesus has come to achieve for us. When we, we gather to worship, we gather in the presence of Jesus, who is our perfect priest, the, the perfect medic, if you like, the one who's got the cure. I think for many, when we come to worship God, what we feel perhaps often is this sense of, can I come to God? Can I, am I clean enough? Have I done well this week? Have I, have I achieved what I should? Am I a pure person? Have I kept a good score? And if we think we've done okay, then we think, yeah, okay, I think I can worship God this week because my sin quota was quite low. Uh, if I did badly, well, maybe I can't. I'll just, I'll just sit and watch. I can't really engage. I can't really worship today because I, I don't know if God really receives me. And we can live in that place of, of insecurity throughout life. I was thinking of uh, how, how this works and looking at, again at Hebrews. This is what he says in chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, you can either clean yourself, which doesn't work, or you can let him really clean you and present you to his father as acceptable, as pleasing, proud of you. This is, look, Father, I, I brought my brothers and sisters. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of them. 
here I am and the, the children you've given me. I, I, I want to come to you, but I want them to come with me. Jesus is the worship leader and he welcomes us with himself into the presence of the Father. And if we feel unready, that's fine because he's the only one that can make us ready. Every week we come to enjoy the Father in the Son. Let me illustrate this to, to finish my message just with a story and I'll close with this. The ninth point is about communion, which we'll do anyway, so, so we'll finish on the eighth. Uh, some friends of mine were in Hong Kong and they were uh, serving some people who were addicted to heroin and they, they were trying to help them to get free from their addiction to heroin, their, their, their heroin habits. And uh, they were just living with them for months and praying with them regularly to help them to get free and uh, helping them to get strong. And it's, it's wonderful the way they did it. And um, there was one occasion when they, they felt like God told them, they were praying and they felt like God said to them when they were praying, I want you to wash the feet of all the people here. Just wash the feet. Because Jesus did it. Jesus did it in John 13. He washed the feet of his disciples. He said, I want you to wash their feet. So they thought, okay. So they got a basin filled with water and they took it and said, we're going to wash all your feet. I hope that's okay. Just, we just wanted to bless you and serve you by showing that we love you. This is what Jesus would do for you and we want to do it for you to show his love. And they're all getting their feet washed and there's a guy there that says, I just need to go to the, to the, to the bathroom. So they just let him go, he goes off to the bathroom. And then after a while, he's, not, he's still not come back. They think, oh gosh, what's, is he okay? And eventually it's his turn. It got to his place and his chair's empty. He's, he's still at the bathroom. So they went off to the bathroom to see if he was okay. And they found him in the bathroom, washing his own feet. And he said, what, what are you doing? What, what, we, that's what we said we'd do. And he said, I didn't want anyone to see my feet. They're so dirty. I thought I'd better clean them first. And then, and then you could clean them. <laughs> you think that's, that's strange. But that's what we do all the time. We think that it's our job to present ourselves, to clean ourselves, to perfect ourselves. That no one can do that except our priest, Jesus. Only he can do that. And this is why we come every Sunday. In fact, just to finish that passage I started reading to you about that priest, it goes on to say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, one leads to another. When you have a faithful high priest over the house who presents you to the Father, we can come not to find fault with each other, not to set up a hierarchy, well, I'm a bit more righteous than you are, but no, 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 to encourage one another, to bless each other, to, to keep helping each other, to keep gathering, keep gathering, not neglecting, stay together, stay together. We belong to the Father because Jesus the Son has made us presentable. Let me just lead you in a prayer and then I'm going to hand over to Matt and we'll come to the table as a last thing. I don't know how you're doing communion. Have you got... Sorry. Father, we thank you so much for this high priest who gives us a welcome to your temple. We pray, Lord, that as we... Even now, as we take bread and wine, as we remember you, I pray that you would flood us with confidence, fill us with your spirit, Help us to enjoy you and help us to build the church that you want to see established in this great city. In Jesus' name, amen.